This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I guess the theme of this half hour of the show is going to be using technology wisely because I'm over at the Curiosity Lab in Peachtree Corners. And if you haven't been to Peachtree Corners in a while, you got to come here. You got to see their tech park and especially this really cool autonomous track, mile and a half track that they've built. With me in my makeshift studio here in the Curiosity Lab is Brandon Branham, uh, the CTO uh, Peachtree Corners and Mike Cuddle, our auto expert. So, Mike, let me start with let me start with you, and we're going to just put this mic back and forth as we social distance because we're not in our Cox Media studio. But what are you what are you doing for the city of of Peachtree Corners? And this may be the only city in Georgia that's hired an auto expert to work with them. Yeah, so one of the things that I do to make this really work here is uh, as a consultant and an auto expert, we're trying to bring in technology that makes sense for consumers in the marketplace that can be tested in a real-world environment. So when we learned about the 1.5-mile track and we started working with the guys here at the Curiosity Lab, the team at the Curiosity Lab, it's all about bringing the technology that we're going to see, not just of today, but we're going to see in the future. So you have the ability to bring in vehicles here that people can test in real-world environments, and then when you connect it to the grid and you connect vehicle to vehicle, it gives you a real working environment to really test out cars. So we're helping to escalate that here at the Curiosity Lab. So Brandon, I mean, this community has been around a long time, not a city a super long time, but you guys uh, have come up with this idea. You've transformed this street inside of Tech Park and maybe folks that have never been here, maybe they moved to Atlanta, maybe they live inside the perimeter, they haven't ventured out here. How do you describe Peachtree Corners to people? Yeah, Peachtree Corners, we're a northern suburb of Atlanta, about 20 minutes from downtown, uh, your traditional suburban area, but with an innovation and technology focus. We took an existing innovation area that was created. The first modem was founded here in Peachtree Corners. The first color printer was invented right here in Technology Park. And Scientific Atlanta, which is now Cisco, started right here in, in Tech Park Atlanta, where we're sitting in Curiosity Lab. And we just took that, became a city in 2012, and continued to build on that innovation and technology spirit. Yeah, it's, a, it's an unusual situation up here because you only have a few city employees. How, how does that work and why? Yeah, we, uh, we fully embrace the private-public partnership model uh, all the way from our operations. We are 45,000 residents, um, have a 45,000 job base here in Peachtree Corners, so we are a regional job hub. And so to provide our services, we use an outsource model through intergovernment agreements with other municipalities or through private contractors who run our day-to-day operations. So the city itself only employs six employees and provides all the services that any normal municipality would. Wow. Mike, I mean, you've traveled and covered a number of things, you know, in the automotive press. And we work closely with Mannheim and Cox Automotive, and they're all over the auto press. But And you've been to many car shows why is this situation so unique here, this mile and a half, this autonomous carter? I mean, you, 
you know, you just don't see this uh, out on city streets anywhere. I've seen it on some private land down in Florida. But, I mean, this is highly unusual. What are you guys trying to do? So to, to understand what the future of automotive technology will look like, you have to bring all the components together. So you have to be able to bring the LIDAR together, adaptive cruise control, front crash avoidance, lane departure warning, rear pedestrian detection, all the things that you can find in a car today. They're bringing them here under one roof where you can now test the next level of autonomy. So right now in the auto industry, the furthest you can possibly go is level two autonomy. We need to get to level five. And the only way for us to get to level five autonomy is by using 5G connectivity. The only way to get 5G connectivity in is to pump it in through the vehicle and they're doing that here between Sprint which is of course now T-Mobile. So you have to have the speed which is latency. That's the issue with level two autonomy is it to get the level three you have to reduce the time in which the computer thinks to make changes with the vehicle. So somebody walks in front of you it's the brain versus the car. Level five autonomy gets us there. So what we're trying to do here at the Curiosity Lab is bring it all under one roof, give everybody an incubator where they can come in and test these in a real working environment to really create the next phase in autonomous vehicles in the marketplace. Brandon, you know, anytime you make major changes in something, get away from the status quo, you have a, a percentage of people that they're complaining. They're wondering, wondering, what in the world are you doing? I remember when uh, they built the roundabout down at St. Simons on East Beach and people were going crazy. They thought, oh, no, this is going to ruin my neighborhood. Did you all have a lot of pushback from folks? I mean, you are here in Tech Park. So uh, or, or was it embraced? Yeah, no, we we're very fortunate. This concept was embraced, and I think one of the main drivers for that is we are one of the only cities, and there's second largest city in the state to have a zero millage rate, so we do not charge our citizens, residents, property tax. And so we have to find creative ways to drive economic development, and having that mindset of innovation and technology is not only at the government level, it's also in our residents' DNA. and where they saw the value in something like this. They, they jumped on board and fully supported it. And the city's invested over $5 million in infrastructure to make this happen. And our residents have been there long, given our elected body the thumbs up. Man, you got to have that. You need the community so support. Mike, as you think about this little autonomous lane that you have here, I mean, we've got Mercedes uh, corporate headquarters, North America here, Porsche corporate headquarters, um, and we, we've, got, uh, we've got a number of uh, folks like Denton's, Eric Tannenblatt, running their autonomous car division for Denton's. I mean, is Atlanta positioned to be a leader in autonomous vehicles and why? Yeah, so that's such a great question. So if you really think about it right now, you've got the Silicon Valley on the West Coast. You've got Detroit, which is really in the middle northeast of the country, but you really don't have anything in the southeast or in the southern part of the country and east coast that really penetrates the world of modern technology quite like Atlanta. Now, I lived here back in the in the 90s. It ages me a little bit during the Olympics, uh, and this is such a great hub for inspiration. You have people coming from all walks of life, all around the world to Georgia itself as a state because they, they get great weather, they get an awesome uh, ability to create business, and this is where the next tech hub is. And it's like Brandon said a minute ago, you know, this is where the printer was, was created. And that just spurs uh, technology. People want to be involved with it. And then the best part about it, I think, and this is what I've seen coming in from the outside, is that What's great about Georgia is the universities get involved. Georgia Tech wants to be involved. You have so many different schools here. So you have a technology hub where people can learn at an early age, and then they can bring it all the way up to where it's real practical application. You know, uh, Brandon, I don't know that 
the average uh, person my age, a baby boomer out there, makes the connection between broadband, uh, 5G, uh, as Mike was talking about, and, and, and this autonomy and the importance of these two things. I mean, it is the backbone of it, right? It can't operate without it. And is that something that you've had to communicate to people? I mean, y'all are blessed to be here in North Metro, and you've got the opportunity to, to build this out. People in middle or south Georgia might not have the opportunity, uh, but you guys do have that opportunity. What have you told people, and how have you tried to explain to people this connection between the 5G and autonomy and the future? Yeah, for this technology to truly work, as Mike was saying, 5G is the the piece that's going to bring it all together. You think on a standard broadband network, think you can watch one Netflix movie in five minutes. 5G takes that 500 Netflix's movies in five minutes. That ability to make speed decisions rapidly in a vehicle on time so that there are no accidents that we've seen and the, and the process to do that. Uh, we are fortunate that we were able to roll that out here back in April. Um, and so as 5G continues to grow and why we like Sprint's network is that it, it is the mid-band section. So we'll see it in the rural Georgias a little sooner than we would the Verizons or the AT&Ts who, who, go, who rely on small cell deployment. So every 100 meters Sprint's using a massive MIMO tower. So big coverage, wide bands. Um, so I think as we look forward to 5G where it's gonna be, we're gonna see a mix of small cell deployment, big cell deployment, which will help us reach those rural Georgia areas. Mike, you've driven a lot of cars, written reviews on a lot of cars, gone to a lot of auto shows, and certainly as we wrap up this first segment, um, as you think about technology in cars, I, I recently spent a week in a Tesla, and, and I used that auto steer uh, to test it on various types of roads. The Chevy Volt that I'm driving has a level of autonomy using that LiDAR cruise control. It's got a little nudge on the steering wheel, not what the Tesla has. Do you see, do you see people getting used to this? Are they experimenting with it? Are they afraid of it? What, what, what's, what's kind of the feeling out there in the public about moving to this next level? Yeah, so I'm a big believer, and this is going to date us all in the room, a movie from years ago called a, a League of Their Own. James Earl Jones was in it, and he had a very prominent statement in it. He said, if you build it, they will come, in reference to a baseball field. Well, when you think about cars, there's two different types of autonomy that people are going to have to embrace. It's one, right now you have to keep your hands on the steering wheel as a data point every 30 seconds or every 10 seconds, level two technology. If you take your hands off, it's going to alert you after... 10, 15, 20 seconds. But to get to the next level, you're seeing things like Super Cruise, which General Motors has had out for the last few years. It's now using retinal detection. So as you're driving, if your eyes are straight forward, you could drive across the country. The vehicle will literally drive itself and it will be able to use the data from your eyes to make sure that that car goes straight. So consumers will become more comfortable with it when they just get behind the seat more. That's all it takes. Just get behind the wheel and you'll become more comfortable. When we come back, I want to talk about this facility that we're in, the Curiosity Lab itself, and how others could office here, possibly, uh, one of the hot desks or one of the offices, and, and what this kind of collaboration might do and, and what Peachtree Corners wants to see happen here. Stick around. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring Brandon and Mike back another segment. We're going to talk more about what Peachtree Corners is doing at the Curiosity Lab. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. 
Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. I am sitting at the Curiosity Lab. It is a cool a cool lab i'm actually very air conditioned i'm sitting at a table i'm looking at all these computer monitors and these screens and tvs and i've got with me brandon and mike uh, they were in our last segment we're talking about what this facility is and why they stood it up i mean brandon this used to be the city hall and the city hall's moved to another building how did y'all come up with this idea what's the vision for it yeah, when we started along this path, economic development is important for every city. And uh, there's usually your traditional economic development, recruitment, retain, expand. Uh, so we wanted to find something different, something to build that fourth pillar on. So we started a business incubator program focused on hardware, software, IoT, mobility, smart cities. And we took that vision, created this new life in an old 1970s building, remodeled it, brought in you know local artists to make it feel and get the vibe of an incubator program started the program you can we've got 12 companies currently in the program and this sets as the hub and the activity and the brain for curiosity lab at peace Street corners you know i'm seeing these places around america los angeles clean tech incubator i was in berlin they had one so i really think you guys are on the right track and maybe some of our listeners haven't had a chance to come here maybe they want a tour maybe they're maybe they're an entrepreneur and they feel like wow i want to be in that tech environment i mean maybe you've been to the atlanta tech village down in buckhead but you're thinking you know what i, w- I want to get out a little bit and i want to tell you what they've got here is a laboratory and you're going to love it i mean mike you are from California. I mean, we don't want to bring that out to our audience, but uh, California, 
I mean, I hate to say it, but they have been leading the way in all this, and they're leading the way in electric vehicles, but we certainly want to be able to follow and do some of the cool things they've done and do it better. It's just a little shout-out to California. I mean, we are, it was the 10th largest economy in the world, right? I mean, it, it's just a, a major, massive uh, piece of land where people just happen to live, and we, got, we had great weather out there. Uh, the reason that California is, is so good at the tech stuff is the fact that you have a big, massive technology hub in the Bay Area. So you've got Apple, you've got Google, you've got these massive technology companies where it was all about the technology first, building computers. But then what's happened over time is you've gone from building computers to integrating that technology into a car, right? So a car has this massive databasing system, this massive head unit in it that has so much ability to to bite down on data and make decisions for you. So it was just natural that the Silicon Valley would become the first hub in the world, really, where you'd be able to start seeing cars become uh, an extension of technology. Our phones integrate with our car. Our car now integrates with us, right? Everything is all part of this massive technology package. But what's great about it here at the the Curiosity Lab is that this is a municipality, meaning government-based smart city. It's literally one of the first smart cities in the country, and they're doing it differently. So what I like here is that they've got the track, they've got the Curiosity Lab where people can come learn and build and just literally think about innovation of the future. I know the Smart Cities competition that's been going on a couple of years, Columbus, Ohio, got the, got the award. What's ahead for Peachtree Corners, Brandon, as you think about where you all want to go? And, and are there bigger cities that you want to be like? Are there, are there big projects that you guys have on the drawing board that you want to do, but you're just waiting for the right opportunity? Yeah, I think when we, right, you throw out the word Smart Cities, it has a hundred different definitions. So each city has to find what that means for them. And what that means for Peachtree Corners is that next generation of connected vehicle, connected environment that best serves our residents and our business community here in Peachtree Corners. So our goal is to take what the private sector does well and integrate it into into government, learn from them, build an ecosystem with them here at Curiosity Lab, and then take that technology, that innovation out to our residents, out to our businesses. So our vision of smart cities is a joint vision working with our private partners integrating what they're really good at into a government mindset mike i don't know if you remember when the prius was invented california got about half of them because they were letting those priuses in those HOV lanes out there until they weren't, right? And they kicked them out and you were gone by then probably. But as you think about automotive innovation, I look at the Prius as being a vehicle that was a catalyst in that that kind of first step to electric cars because it was partially electric and they've sold an awful lot of them and many have copied their technology. What do you see as some of the challenges ahead in this space in really making these electric cars autonomous and having it be successful? The first thing that you have to look at as a consumer in the marketplace, it's kind of the crawl before you walk, walk before you run mentality. So you have gas-based cars right now, but between gas and electric, you have a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, which is really becoming the cool thing out there. Imagine 700 miles of total range in a vehicle. You can be partially electric while you're in town. You could go two weeks if you're home and not have to put a single drop of gasoline in a vehicle, but if you have to go to the airport, 
airport, which is an hour and a half away. Now you've got the gasoline to get you there. So it's a, it's a process of phasing in the technology to get consumers more comfortable with it. What does the future really hold? We're going to move to electric. You're going to see companies like Rivian who make sport utility vehicles and trucks that are all electric. You're going to see performance. Most people don't really see electric as being performance, but it means instant torque. Yes, there is range anxiety, but you have the ability to put incredible performance in that vehicle. Most people listening do not know this. The number one selling hybrid vehicle in 2019 was the Ram 1500 because it has a technology called e-torque. And that's just a mild hybrid version of a motor in there that helps propel, uh, propel the vehicle forward. So you're gonna see more of that in the future and consumers are looking for it, they're ready for it. As long as you can get a little bit of sexiness and a little bit of performance with the vehicle. What's sad about the Prius is that it's great, but it's sad, I'm a car guy. It doesn't have the sexy look. It doesn't have that appealing look for some. Uh, but you're gonna see the vehicles continue to evolve. They're gonna continue to look better and they're gonna integrate the technology into more vehicles. Some people say sexy is overrated, but we're not going to get into that on our show. Hey, I do want to I do want to give this invite to Peachtree Corners during the Petit Lama, which is an IMSA race uh, at Road Atlanta. We have rented Jackson EMC and Cobb EMC has come together, and they've rented an area, a corral they call it, and it's an EV performance. Corral. Now, there's a Porsche Corral, a BMW Corral, a Corvette Corral, but we're going to have an EV performance corral, and Georgia Power is bringing in their new Envision solar unit, which which is basically a giant solar umbrella, and we're going to have some hourly seminars on that. I would love to have Peachtree Corners represented up there, maybe even with your diorama model or something where you can challenge others to follow your lead. Let me ask you, Brandon, do you get a lot of calls from other cities, other places going, what are you doing and how can we do it? Thank you first for that invite. We'd love to be a part of that and join in, in the you know, movement towards EV. But absolutely, I was just on a call last week with the Arizona Commerce Authority. Uh, they're, they're trying some new things from a regional standpoint because we know autonomy is only going to work if the regions come together because you can't leave one city that's connected and go to the next city that's not. So I was on, on a long phone call with them working through what are some of the things we've learned as we've built the mile and a half facility was on a call with Federal Department of Transportation uh, around testing our micromobility e-scooter program where we're using teleoperations to power e-scooters so you can call it like an Uber. And they were very interested in that as micromobility starts to pick up, especially during the pandemic. I was just on the phone with Dallas Innovation Authority while they're taking the region around Dallas and trying to build this smart city ecosystem. Lots of cities out there, we're all working towards the same thing. How do we better serve residents, businesses? How do we improve our infrastructure through technology? So we, you know, we all take our chance to learn from one another. Mike, I've been driving an EV since, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, this segment, I've been driving an EV since 2013. And I can tell you working chargers is absolutely critical. And there's nothing that would make me more nervous than pulling up to a charger and seeing a little bag over it or, or it not working and me be really low on miles. Of course, those early Nissan Leafs, they only had an 88, 90 mile range on a good day. Couldn't run the air condition, couldn't run over 60. These new vehicles, the Porsche Taycan, these German cars coming out, the, I mean, they are stout. They go fast. They've got the performance. They are sexy, uh, to use your words. I mean, how important is reliability in all of this? 
Well, and I, I also have owned an electric vehicle. It was a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, Ford C-Max Energy, and there's nothing worse than knowing that you're going to pull into a spot and want to get some juice, and you can't. Uh, but you're right. The technology has gotten so much better with these vehicles, and you look at the performance that they're putting into them. You're going to be able to see consumers in the next few years get into vehicles that are electrified. They're fun to drive. They're very cool looking, and they go the range that you want them to go. Fisker will be coming out with the Fisker Ocean. It's made out of entirely recycled products, and the vehicle will have an insane amount of uh, distance that you can go, range, uh, to make it work. But Brandon hit on something that's really, really important. You asked me this question earlier, what is it going to take to get consumers to the next level? Infrastructure. You have to have the charging stations available for people to charge. Wow. A CuriosityLabPTC.com is the website. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to work with some other folks, you can rent you a hot desk here. It's very reasonable. Brandon, how can folks find out more about the lab? I've got the website, but if, if they if they want to engage, uh, who, who can they talk to? Feel free to reach out to any of us at Curiosity Lab. They can call myself um, anytime, and we'll, all of our contact information is on the website or our social media pages. And, Mike, how can folks find out uh, about you? You've got a Twitter handle or a website? The best thing is to go to OurAutoExpert.com. Pretty easy. We do a bunch of different reviews on there. We actually just did one on the, on the Curiosity Lab here uh, not too long ago. Well, guys, thanks for being on the show. I'm Tim Eckel. Stick around for more great energy talk after the break. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters, and we're in the same general vicinity as a Curiosity Lab. Still, I just moved just a little bit, uh, I guess, east over to Old Town Norcross and sitting with Tom Ty, an engineer with United Consulting. And Tom, you, you uh, welcome to Energy Matters first. Thank you very much, Tim. Good to be here. You grew up in South Florida, Homestead, went to South Dade High School, and I've got a couple kids living in Florida now, Coast Guard son over in Panama City, uh, another son living in Jacksonville working for uh, for Chick-fil-A down there. What was it like to grow up near the Ever Everglades Swamp down there? It was quite interesting. Uh, 
Of course, the great fishing down there off the Florida Keys and right there at Florida Bay was fantastic. I did catch a two-foot sea trout and measured two foot, so I knew I did it. But uh, one interesting uh, adventure, we were camping in the Everglades as, as uh, Boy Scouts. And uh, I remember quite vividly hearing airplanes going overhead and uh, didn't see any lights. What's that all about? Well, of course, in the early 70s, mid-70s, there were probably drug planes dropping uh, dropping drugs off in the Everglades. So we had that little adventure on the side, too, not just camping, but it did keep the skies dark at night so you could see the stars. I guess if, I guess if United Consulting had an office in Homestead, you guys would be involved in python snake removal uh, because apparently... Uh, all the, the moms and dads that let their kids get snakes eventually get weary of, of that, and they wind up going out there. I mean, that's a problem, right? Yes, it is. That and a lot of invasive species have, uh, have uh, overgrown part of the Everglades, and so that is a constant problem, and there's, there's hunts out there for them. Um, uh, that and uh, many other creatures out there, those lizard things. Man, I, I just I don't like reptiles at, at all. Um, but yellow jackets, I don't much like them. Uh, but, you know, uh, you went to Georgia Tech, and there are so many tech graduates working at companies like United, Georgia Power, engineering firms all across uh, all across Georgia. And, and truthfully, even though I like to kid my Georgia Tech friends, Georgia Tech is a, a gem for us here. It's our, it's our MIT, and in some ways it's better than MIT. Uh, probably more students, more practical, and, and folks that wind up staying at home. Tell me about your experience at Georgia Tech. Wow, it was a challenge, I'll tell you that much. I, coming out of high school, you think you're uh, among the brightest if you graduate in the top five. But you come to Georgia Tech, and it's a humbling experience. Got my first C in, in life. Got several C's thankful sees uh, at, at, at times at Georgia Tech. So it was quite a challenge. It was quite a challenge to hang in there. And you have to get hang tough and say, uh, man, I'm going to make it through. They're going to have to throw me out of here if they want me out of here. But uh, to hang on and, and have perseverance was, was, a, it was a big lesson at Georgia Tech, as well as, of course, the academic vigor and the lesson. You're a civil engineer, and you're working with a lot of, a lot of young engineers, and it is one of the best entry-level jobs out there, getting that engineering degree. I mean, in terms of, of the pay, you think about an art major or drama major coming out of the University of Georgia and, and how they struggle versus someone coming out of tech with an EE or civil engineering degree and so many other things. What is, as you work with young engineers now in your job, what are some of the challenges that these young millennials and and, and and this next generation is having as they get out into the workforce? Well, I think I think it's more complex. I think there's a lot more um, high-tech applications. Of course, many of them are very good at that, uh, CAD and things like that. But I think uh, getting the practical knowledge of how things are put together in the field is the biggest challenge to get for a young engineer early. And... Uh, used to try to get out and do summer jobs. Sometimes those are available, sometimes they're not, to get you the experience in the field so you can feel and see what's going on. And that's very important for a young engineer to kind of understand what's happening in real life out in the field, or in the ground in our case. 
I know you've got some middle Georgia projects that you're working on. You and I were talking about uh, the Sandersville area, kale and country for folks that haven't been down that way. It's kind of a white clay, this mine down in middle Georgia. And uh, it's funny, Tom, as I drive down 441, you know, heading from the Eatonton Milledgeville area on down to Dublin to hit 16, you see the big uh, kale and uh, open field mines and and some of the older, I guess, smaller quarries, quarries where they've where they've finished up and they put water in it. It almost looks like the the Caribbean uh, because the bottom is the bottom is that white sand and you go, wow, what is that? What is that blue water doing here? But it does present some unique challenges for engineering, doesn't it? Yes, it does. There's some very interesting clay structures down there, clay and sand structures there on that particular geology, you know, south uh, or at the fall line or very near the fall line, which changes the whole geology from where we are uh, as uh, here in the Piedmont or here in Norcross. So uh, we talk about geotechnical engineering, which is what we're we're doing here in my group. Uh, And it all starts with geology and geology is very important. And that's a very interesting geology. You know, uh, there's a part of that road, I guess, as I come out of Irwinton and head south, where it looks like the right side of the road has fallen off into a cliff. And I understand from talking to you that, it's, that, that there's a technical word for that, and there's, there's things you have to do in advance, and you guys didn't engineer it in advance, but you are involved in some of the fixing going on down there as as. Uh, as geology has taken its toll in a negative way and, and affected some of the road. How does a road uh, that, that seems perfectly normal to someone like me, right, an English major who knows nothing about science or geology or road building, how does it just fall away like that? Well, slope stability is a very complex thing. There's a lot of things happening there. The water table changes. Uh, some of the mining may affect that. The particular location of a new slope put on top of existing things, if a clay with low shear strength is at the right place, it could be, it could slide at all. So you've got to study these issues very carefully. I know we had a big case down in Savannah where we, there's a beautiful sand bluff in Savannah, but 40 feet below that are marine layers of marine clay. And some of them are only a half inch thick, some of them are three inches thick, but intermittently, that caused a major, major problem and slope instability in downtown Savannah. And so this can happen. It depends on where that clay layers are and the weak soils are. You've got to study them very closely. You know, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. I mean, we, uh, we, we, we sang that song in Sunday school. Um, and I deal with a lot of of sand-related issues, whether it's at the beach and erosion and sea level. And uh, and, and now, you know, even in, in this interview, just talking about uh, slope failure. I mean, when we are building in Georgia, whether it's a skyscraper or whether it's a highway, I mean, there's, I guess we've got the technology now to be able to know whether something's a good idea or not? Or are there still a lot of variables that that technology can't prevent from happening? Well, the ground itself is a variable. It's not homogeneous. It's not the same. 
It's not the same sand everywhere. It's, it's, if it was, we could, we could define that. So things change, and especially here in the Piedmont, over 30 foot, the rock level changes dramatically. So you can have, you can have quite a variability in subsurface conditions. Underground engineering is very important. Uh, and so where we encounter a lot of this is going deep in the ground, here in Atlanta even, where we've got to do deep tunnel shafts, or we've got to do uh, uh, large excavations for a high-rise building. That's been the biggest uh, cause of potential damage to adjacent buildings, utilities, and other things. And those are high-risk situations. And I'm trying to institute here, as we're also doing in, in many locations, is we're trying to reduce risk by instrumenting automatically what's happening and give us an early warning signal. So automated instrumentation is actually a risk reduction method. And uh, we can go into that a little bit more if you'd like. Yeah, I want to talk about that in the second segment, uh, in the, the last segment today. Um, but I also want to ask you about some of the challenging jobs that you've had. Um, you've been at United Consulting for how many years? About two years, almost two years. And, but you've been involved in engineering, obviously, since you graduated from, from Georgia Tech, and you've worked on some of the maybe Atlanta projects that our listeners may know about. Yes, although some of them have gone away, like the Georgia Dome. Uh, we still have an Olympic Stadium, but it's now Georgia State Stadium. These are some of the highlights of those. And 50-story tower down uh, in Midtown, uh, Four Seasons Plaza, for example, and some other things, IBM building, they used to call it. Uh, one Atlantic Center, things like that I've been involved with, uh, and many other projects, uh, uh, Olympic Aquatic Center, a lot of projects at Georgia Tech and, and, and other universities at Georgia, too. So, yeah, there's been a, a number of projects I can drive around town. I used to, used to kid my wife that I said, I know more about what's going on underground than I do above ground in Atlanta. Well, when we come back, I want to keep talking to Tom. Tom, I want to talk a little bit about... Jackson Lake pollution. Uh, our family has property on the South River that flows into the lake where you have a house. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that and talk about some of the jobs you've worked on and talk about some of this instru instrumentation. I'm talking to Tom Ty, UnitedConsulting.com. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Hi everyone, my friends at One Medicare USA would like to wish you a happy birthday, especially those of you that are turning 65. We know that turning 65 is a significant milestone and it can be very confusing and overwhelming as it relates to Medicare. One Medicare USA provides educational virtual workshops that make Medicare easy to understand. They have local Medicare specialists that can help explain all of your options and costs associated. To schedule a free workshop, visit OneMedicareUSA.org or call 404-496-6994. You can also register for one of the virtual workshops by visiting their website. Again, that's OneMedicareUSA.org or call 404-496-6994. They make Medicare easy for you. These seminars are for educational purposes and no plan-specific benefits or details will be discussed. One Medicare USA nor its affiliates are associated with the federal Medicare program. 
COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, it's Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. I'm your host. I'm a public service commissioner here in Georgia. I'm sitting here across from Tom Ty. He's a civil engineer from Georgia Tech, from South Dade High School in Homestead, Florida. And we talked earlier about his life in the Everglades when he uh, grew up down there. But now, Tom, you're on another body of water, uh, the, the, the lake called Jackson Lake. And our family, my grandfather, bought land on the South River 1942. Uh, still in our family, we've seen that river change a lot uh, since uh, since growing up. Wouldn't dare swim in it now. But you guys are getting a lot of the trash coming out of DeKalb and out of Atlanta as those rivers flow into that Georgia Power Lake down there, Jackson Lake. And uh, I know you're involved with the Homeowners Association, and it's, it's got to be frustrating for people. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, the Jackson Lake Association as well association is well organized and they have trash pickups four times a year and we take out uh, you know pontoon boats and, and, and collect trash uh, and volunteers that we go out and collect it from usually a lot from the South River and the Yellow River uh, a little bit from Tussahaw too so uh, we do pick up this stuff regularly and uh, has been a, a nat- natural part of what we do to clean up the lake um, usually on the on the pollution side though the any bacterial issues are usually taking care of the 30 miles between uh, major wastewater treatment plants and, 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 the, and the lake. So most of that has dissipated by that time. But we do have a lot of trash and debris to pick up. I was telling you about being in Germany in Berlin at the Olympic Stadium there and seeing a, a skimmer that the Germans had put onto uh, a little creek that flowed into the Olympic Lake there. And the Olympic Lake was pristine, and uh, I, I didn't know exactly why until I walked upstream a little bit and saw this extensive skimmer that they had that ran every drop of water through. It looked like a little dam, but it, it, it and I guess it was kind of a little dam, but the skimmer pulled this trash even up to a leaf, uh, and that that lake wound up being uh, just uh, just as clean as could be. And I understand that you guys are, are, are hopeful of getting that technology down at Jackson Lake. Yes, we are on um, particularly the South River. DeKalb County is going to be installing a trash trap, state-of-the-art trash trap, in the process of doing it now. And uh, it's going to be collecting all of the, that trash that's floating along, uh, you know, bottles and plastics. That are floating along there. Now the Jackson Lake Association is going to put in another one because we were raising funds to help with that, but uh, bless the good citizens of DeKalb County that are going to take care of the one for the South River. We're going to take care of the one for Yellow River, a little less high technology, but uh, we're going to, as a homeowners association, we're going to sponsor one there as well. You know, this whole idea of, of, of removing waste from our, our water source uh, and recycling you know for for many years we had glass recycling in just about every county in in metro and now that's all gone away and we're landfilling glass now it seems it seems like 
Tom, that something as simple as being able to uh, recycle glass could happen, but it, it it is such a challenge because everybody wants everybody wants clear glass, and you can't you can't take brown glass or any other color glass and mix it and have the purity that you need on a, on a recycle side. So, uh, in in some ways. Tom, I look at the craft paper that we're using. You go to a McDonald's or a Starbucks and and you get a recycle bag and it's a craft color and you know it's recycled. You're proud of it. You like it. You don't have a problem with it. But when it comes to glass, we just don't accept that. We want that clarity uh, and and we haven't been able to take our mindset about recycling the way we do paper and transfer it to glass. It's a real challenge. It is, isn't it? Uh, it's a shame because I, I, I do personally not able to put glass in our recycling at a house in, in Sandy Springs. Um, and uh, we just don't have that anymore. And we used to put them in all the time. So I, I, I know the frustration of not being able to recycle. It seems so simple to be able to put glass in a recycling process. Tom, when I was growing up at North Clayton High School, uh, WSB had this contest for high school high schools and we entered it it had to do with aluminum recycling and glass recycling and you would collect all that you could you would take it to the Reynolds aluminum place get it weighed get a receipt and then you would go over to the Owens uh, glass facility in Hapeville get your glass weighed collect all the receipts from everybody from your school send it into WSB and the school that had the most um, would win Right. So we embarked on this aggressive glass recycling campaign and my I was president of the student body and my fellow students just embraced this uh, to the point where they were dumpster diving uh, in bars off of Virginia Avenue, gathering wine bottles, liquor bottles. And then we were breaking them without safety glasses. Oh, my goodness. We were breaking this glass in order to get it into a half of a 55-gallon drum that we had had our Votech department uh, cut in half, and so we could get more glass in by breaking it, more volume, and so we were breaking it in front of the school. I don't know how in the world the principal let me do this, and then took it over to the Reynolds place in my little 67 Chevy pickup truck and got the receipt. We didn't come in first place, but I learned a lot through that process about about recycling and some of the challenges and just how labor intensive it is but recycling repurposing reusing all of these things really help us make a more sustainable planet yes it does and those are true to engineering principles as we try to do things more for less and more efficiently in our engineering studies and everything we do in engineering uh, it just makes sense to reuse things that already have we've taken energy to do. It becomes more efficient. So if we can we can transform any kind of recyclables, renewables, things like that into in, into something we can use. That's what an engineering purpose is all about. In the last segment, you mentioned this instrumentation and how the instrumentation can be preventative or help a project be more sustainable. What did, what did you mean by that? In underground engineering geotechnical engineering, you don't often get a warning that something's going to happen. The ground shifts suddenly, and uh, 
But the instruments we have now to put in the ground can pick up on these movements, micro movements, ten thousandths of an inch type of level, where we can pick it up and give us a warning that something's starting to move and can prevent catastrophic error, catastrophic things from happening to an excavation or a large tunnel shaft or, or a tunnel itself or uh, a dam. You pick up on all these things that will help. And these, this kind of, but, but getting that Getting that feedback immediately to the decision makers is what can prevent further disasters and can also reduce risk. Now, risk is an insurance term. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Equals uh, the probability of something happening times its consequences. So if the consequences are big, such as people living downstream from a dam or next door to a huge excavation and their house is on top of it, or below a slope, or above a slope, <laughs> on top of a slope. If something happens there, it could be catastrophic. So the consequences could be big, or the probability of something happening, a large deep excavation in downtown Atlanta with, with 60 foot deep, and you're adjacent to other buildings that are sitting on top of it. Um, you know, the probability of something moving could be high, quite substantial. So any one of those things happening, you have high risk. And the idea is reduce that risk by reducing the probability of something happening, or and and therefore the risk is reduced. Uh, just a couple of minutes left in, in in the show in this segment. Um, you remember the Olympic Village that was built there that became Georgia State dorms, and that now I guess it's Georgia Tech dorms. Someone told me, uh, you know, years ago, hey, those things are are slightly sinking. Or I mean, how how do you? How do you figure that? How is that, how is that kind of thing measured? Who, who determines it? Is that a sensor thing or is that a, a naked eye thing? Or do you feel it? I mean, do things start to crack? Well, things did start to crack. In the Olympic dorm, the uh, tower crane was leaning against the building, so that's kind of an indicator. So <laughs> they couldn't use it. They had to disassemble the tower crane, take it down, because it was leaning against the building couldn't use it anymore. So uh, they had to come in with a portable crane just to finish the building. So you have it. That was an obvious indicator. You don't need many sophisticated instruments to see that. It's a, well, a leaning tower of Pisa. You can pick that up with the naked eye. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to use an instrument. But uh, there was quite a bit of substantial settlement, and a lot of it happened early in one of the dorms. One of the other dorms was going to happen slowly over time, and we actually put away, because we could predict over time what was going to happen to the other dorm, we had the state put in uh, a contingency fund to stabilize one end of that building if it continued to move. And so you monitored it over time, and I believe they did go back in and, and do the stabilization. So uh, you predict that for the future, yeah. You guys are unitedconsulting.com. How can uh, folks in the audience reach you if they have a question about a slope or something like that? What's your best email address? T-T-Y-E at unitedconsulting.com. He's Tom. I'm Tim. Uh, he's a Georgia Tech guy. I'm a UGA guy. Uh, I won't hold that against him. It's been great having you on the show today. Thank you very much, Tim. My pleasure. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matter. We want to we help you learn all about saving money on your power bill to use technology wisely, and to live a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. Have a great day, everyone.
The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com. Solarsunworld.com. 